If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Uh, if you are with us uh, for the first time, we are in the middle of the worst series for you to possibly step into for the first time. Uh, we have been going through a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and we are in the middle of a two-parter on spiritual gifts. Uh, if you are new to Christianity, this is something that is much debated and fought about back and forth by lots of different people, because it's just something that we really struggle to put our modern American brains around. And so we started last week with chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about these spiritual gifts. These gifts include a variety of things, but they include things like working miracles and healing sick people and speaking in tongues, or um, uh, also things like prophecy and words of knowledge, words of wisdom. And we talked a little bit about what those things mean, but we also talked about how it's difficult to really understand totally what's going on. If today you have questions... Feel free. There should be question cards in your pew for questions and prayer requests. If you have a question you want to ask, fill it out in the question section. We'll have some time to go over those questions after the sermon. Also, there's a section for prayer requests. If there's something you want us to pray for, you can put that on there. Use your name if you want us to use your name, and don't if you don't. So, as I said, we're talking about this. And last week, we set the, the groundwork for what we're going to talk about spiritual gifts with five simple lessons. They are on this slide sort of represented graphically. I'll go through them quickly. The five lessons we learned last week is that the Holy Spirit gives the church good gifts. And we should be thankful for those. Second of all, those gifts reveal to us something of God's character. The gifts are an experience of God himself. And so because of that, when we experience spiritual gifts, we understand God better. The third thing we talked about is those gifts are given for the building up of the church. They're not given just for you. They're given so that you can help other people with them. Uh, Fourth of all, similar to that, in the end, spiritual gifts help you to serve other people, not to think of yourself as a hotshot. And the final thing here is that no shame should be felt or assigned based on what gift you do or do not have. 
Paul is dealing with people that have apparently created like first class and second class gifts. And he says, no, all of them are gifts from the Holy Spirit. God doesn't get bad gifts. Uh, and so if you have a lesser gift in your mind, it is not, you don't deserve any dishonor, any shame, because your gift is different than someone else's. And then Paul switches his conversation into something that he says is the more perfect gift or the most excellent way. And we talked last week how it's really interesting that he's gone on and on and on about how all the spiritual gifts are important and we should not lift some up and lower some down. And then at the end of that, he goes, oh, but there is one that is much better than the rest. And we go, well, geez, Paul, it's kind of undoes what you just said. And then he goes through and he says that gift is love. That loving other people and treating other people the way love, true love should treat them. I feel like I'm in Princess Bride, I'm true love. But the, the way that love as the Bible defines it is the most perfect way. And he says you can have any other gift in the world, no matter how fancy it is, and no matter how great it looks, if you're not doing it in a way that shows love, patience, kindness, not keeping a right of wrongs, all these things, then you, you're missing out. Those things don't matter. What matters is treating other people with love. And I think it really does go to Paul's credit that in a passage, uh, chapters 12 and 14 are some of the most contentious chapters in the entire New Testament for Christians. Which one of these chapters between 12, 13, and 14 do you hear read the most? 13, right? Almost every time you go to a wedding, I had a New Testament professor that hated this because he said, that's not about marriage. But anyways, we read it all the time at weddings. That love is patient, love is kind. It is a testament to Paul's rhetorical ability and his brilliance as a writer. That the thing he thinks is most important is the thing that we read the most. It would be so easy for us to get dragged down in chapters 12 and 14 and forget 13. And Paul writes it so brilliantly that we cannot help but remember the beauty of 13. Before we go any further, I do want to make just a really simple point here about love and the way it functions when we talk about these spiritual gifts. Every once in a while, I will hear someone try to diagnose the problem with the American church or just Christianity in general. And it often will go to spiritual gifts. Uh, Usually for my charismatic friends, they're like, well, if you need a sign that things are bad, we're just not seeing any more tongues in the church anymore. It's clearly the sign that everything's gone wrong. I go to my non-charismatic friends and they go, I tell you, the fact that we don't have a a a prophets? Prophets and apostles in our church. That is a sign that we are just going down the wrong road. If you can look at the church and not see our lack of love as one another as the most important sign that we're missing the Holy Spirit, you are totally missing the the point of this passage. If you've got a church full of tongues that is not full of love, it does not matter. If you have a tongue full of prophets and apostles that's going gangbusters, but there is no love there, it does not matter. If we have anything that should tell us there's something wrong with our churches, it's the lack of love that we have for each other. The lack of patience that we show when we disagree. The lack of kindness we have when we try to deal with stuff. The fact that we have a record of wrongs in the back of our head where we remember every person at church that's ever wronged us and how they did it. That is a sign the Holy Spirit is absent. And I don't care if you're speaking in tongues or not. 
If there is no love there, and if you are acting in ways opposite to what love is defined as here, that is where our real problems lie. And so we can't talk about spiritual gifts. Don't worry, we'll get into the weeds in a minute. I know some of you want the weeds really bad. But we cannot forget this bigger point, that in the end, the most excellent way of all is love. And if the church does not operate with the kind of love that Paul's explained in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, then it doesn't matter. We don't have any other points. It doesn't... None of the other stuff is here or there if love is not present. All right, we're going to keep on going. Oh, I had a nice slide that said love. <laughs> First Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues... What good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's some distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. The speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one's edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the letter it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. All right, there's a lot there. So what did Paul just talk about? Well, probably our heads are spinning a little bit. Paul is really interesting in the way he structures some of his arguments sometimes. His big point is this. Use spiritual gifts to build up the church. If you are fascinated 
with a spiritual gift that you think makes you look cool, but it does not help your brothers and sisters, it is not a helpful gift. And so Paul is demanding of them, think about how this affects other people. Think about how it edifies or builds up the church. Think about how you're engaging yourself in worship that encourages one another. Because if it's not building up anybody but yourself, it's just selfish. It's not the way spirituality should be. Spirituality should be a benefit to other people around you. God is not giving these gifts to you purely for yourself. Now, I think if I'm, I'm going to give Caleb's opinion of what's happening here, because this is a very difficult text to get through. But I think the primary thing that's happening here is that Paul is really stuck in a juggling act between several things. On the one hand, I think the church in Corinth was filled with people who used to worship Aphrodite or Artemis or some other Greco-Roman god. And I think that many of these people are terribly arrogant. We know this because throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, he's constantly telling them, you need to be humble. Stop being so arrogant. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop being so selfish. Last week, we went through all these passages about people taking care of themselves in the church, right? And so Paul has these arrogant people. They're coming out of a background of sort of Greco-Roman religion. And that Greco-Roman religion makes them think that there are spiritual gifts that are just cooler. Okay, and if we're honest, they're the ones that we think are cooler. All right, we talked about this a little bit last week. If you have the gift of administration and someone else has the gifts of tongues, it seems a little boring. Okay, Nobody wants to be like, I'm really good at spreadsheets. And someone else, I can speak Chinese. You know, like there's just a very different sense of the wow factor. Uh, the ability to heal somebody from a sickness versus the ability to teach a kid's Bible class. There's just a difference of wow factor there. And in their immaturity, they are trying to build up the gifts that have the wow factor. And for them, that is tongues. They think tongues make them hot stuff. Now, the problem that Paul has is Paul can't say, well, tongues are worthless. Knock it off. Stop doing the tongues because he doesn't believe that. He believes that the gift of tongues has a value in their community just within a certain context and used a certain way. And so he's going to continually go back and forth. He's going to say, tongues are great. I wish you all had tongues. I wish everybody could speak tongues. I speak tongues more than anybody. He has all those sentences that build them up. And then he immediately cuts them back down. But it's not as good as prophecy. And it's this really interesting thing because Christians, it's a Rorschach test for so many Christians. Christians that really believe in ministries of speaking in tongues go through and they're like, look at how many positive things he says about tongues in this passage. And people who don't believe in those ministries go, look at how many negative things he says in this passage about tongues. It's both. There's a balance. He's saying it has its place, but within a certain role and for a certain reason. All right. Uh, I do want to just note quickly, one of those reasons he gives is how it affects visitors at your church. I love this. Paul's like, listen, whatever we do, let's think about somebody who's visiting for the first time. Paul might say, if you're having a baptism Sunday, don't talk about gifts of the spirit. It's a really poor sermon topic. You know, like he is thinking about all of the best things to talk. He's trying to worry about how a visitor would feel coming in. I just want to say that that's a really valid thing for us to think about. Whenever we say, how does somebody new feel when they walk into our church? Sometimes I hear Christians go, well, that's not what church services are for. They were for Paul. 
Paul assumed that visitors coming into your church building, well, not church building for him, but people walking into your service is something that you worry about. And he goes, if there's somebody who's not a Christian, how is this going to, de- how are they going to approach this? So I think it's interesting he mentions that. All right, we could be at this all day. I'm going to do a couple of questions here that I think you may have, and hopefully we'll hit some of those before we wrap up. Question one that a lot of people ask. All right, so what do we do about fake gifts? And this bothers a lot of us. Because we see people on TV or the news or a televangelist program or whatever that's doing something that looks fake. There have been good uh, news, good, there have been well done journalistic exposés where journalists will go to evangelistic meetings of churches and they will play with a shortwave radio trying to catch uh, like a signal and they will discover that some of these prophets that stand up in front of churches and say, is there a Bruce in here? Bruce, I think. And then all of a sudden there's words of knowledge. I I think you live in Cumberland and I think that uh, you've worked as a minister most of your life. That they're actually getting in their ear radio signals from a booth in the back where someone is searching for things on the internet so that they can find out what's going on. Um, That's a real thing that people do, unfortunately. Uh, Also, our non-Christian friends have asked, and I think this is fair to ask, a lot of these healing ministries tend to help with um, cancer or pain, but I've never seen a healing ministry ask people to bring their amputees to church, right? It's always an internal thing that we're help healing, but then uh, if somebody comes in with like a shriveled hand, the gospel's talking about Jesus doing this, they never want to heal a shriveled hand because you can kind of see if a shriveled hand's been healed or not, right? It's either fixed or not. And there are a lot of charlatans in the world that pretend to have gifts of the Spirit for their own fame and, worst of all, for their own financial gain. We have seen them on TV taking money from little old ladies and people who are sort of weak and don't even have the money to give. You saw this miracle, now give $50 and you'll get a miracle of healing at your house. And these people... I think sometimes as Christians we want to go, oh, it's not a big deal. As long as they're making people feel happy, as long as they're saying something about Jesus. Uh, There are several men throughout the book of Acts that try to fake the gifts of the Spirit. And they are roundly and strongly condemned by apostles of the Lord every single time. You do not lie about using the Holy Spirit so you can put money in your pocket. And I don't think it's unfair for us to ask people to not be lying about the works of the Spirit. And we can see, and we have seen, places where this is happening. And that kind of fraud is disconcerting. Um, This may show what a cynic I am. I have a friend recently that went to a big ministry event, and they had a word of knowledge spoke over them. Where somebody said, oh, you're so-and-so, and I bet you have a wife with this name, and they gave a bunch of data. And they were just saying, it must have been the Holy Spirit. There's no way he could have known this information. And I said, okay. And I was listening. And God forbid, forgive me. I pulled up Facebook. And every bit of data that this man who had words of knowledge was data that's on Facebook. Maybe the guy had the Holy Spirit or maybe he had social media. You know? And it just, it's hard. We don't want to be cynics. But on the same hand, uh, we do no favors for Christ 
when we go, come to Christianity, it's an intellectually honest religion. They're like, well, what about those people that are faking healings? They're not. I believe them completely. And they go, oh, really? What about this 2020 special about all these guys that lied about it? And then we go, oh, and we look like fools who are following after con artists. I think we have to be cautious about the way these gifts sometimes are faked and made unrealistic. Second question people ask, well, aren't those gifts supposed to stop? I grew up in a church that told me that the gifts of the Spirit would cease. It's called cessationism at some point in history. So let's talk about what that is. Uh, In that chapter 13, Paul said, where there are tongues, they shall be still. Where there is prophecy, it shall end. And he says, when completeness comes, or some translations, when the perfect comes, we will not need these things anymore. Uh, Let me tell you some things that Christians have said about that perfect thing. Uh, I grew up in a church where I was told that was the Bible. So Paul says, when completion comes, or perfectness comes, no longer we need spiritual gifts. He was talking about the Bible, because the Bible is perfect, and therefore, no more of these spiritual gifts happen anymore, because we have a Bible in our hands. Who needs to speak a word of prophecy if you can just open up the book of Isaiah? And that was kind of their suggestion. Um... The, the problem I have with this is that the Bible is not mentioned really anywhere else in this passage. It is very weird for a passage that is not about the Bible to suddenly very ex- distinctly be about the Bible with code words and then not be about it anymore. Uh, I've always found that difficult. Uh, furthermore, uh, it kind of leads us to a deistic look at God. God's like, look, I was really active until you got a Bible. But now that you have a Bible, good luck, guys. You're on your own. You don't need help anymore. And so that's a concern I have with that particular approach. Um, Also, what it does is if you ever see something that you believe to be a miracle of healing, for example, you have to immediately declare that as counterfeit, non-godly stuff. Because we have the Bible and holy and spiritual gifts ceased. And so that can't be real. And you're just going to call a lot of Christians liars and a lot of Christians bad people if that's your approach to spiritual gifts. So that's one option. I'm going to try to give you the good and bad things about every option. Uh, Another option is that the perfect thing is love. Paul is saying that when we love each other perfectly, we're not going to need all these other spiritual gifts anymore because love will do the job. And uh, I think grammatically, this is the best argument. I think it's really easy to see love as the complete thing, the thing that he's referencing in that verse. Um, The only concern I have about it is that Jesus did a lot of miracles. And I think Jesus is pretty perfect. And so why would it be that once we love each other perfectly, we're not going to do miracles anymore? Jesus loved us perfectly and he did miracles, right? So I, I don't know. That's my problem I have there. The other option that people have said is the perfect is heaven. Right? It's the, the end of times, the new heaven and the new earth. And so when heaven comes, that is when the gifts will cease. So we should expect to see tongues and miracles and healings, blah, 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 forever until Jesus comes back in his glory. Um, I, I find that an interesting approach. Uh, certainly there is truth that that is the day when we no longer will need faith or hope because we'll have seen all these things with our own eyes. Um, And Paul does seem to allude here to the idea that he's growing personally and that he's getting more um, ready for the perfect. Um, For me, it's just a weird transition. It's like the Bible one. We're talking about love. We're talking about love. We're talking about love. 
So be filled with love, and when heaven comes, you won't need these gifts anymore, and be filled with love. Like, I, I just love for me is the grammatically most sensible one. But what I like about this one is that we stop looking around for gifts to cease, and we start asking why we don't see them. Um, th- and that's, to me, the real big question. For a lot of us who grew up outside of charismatic churches, why don't I ever see these gifts? Paul's given us this hope of people speaking prophecy and words of knowledge and healing. Why doesn't our church get those? Why aren't they here? Why is this not something that we experience? And this is a really hard one, I think, for us. Um, For some of us, we go, I've never experienced it. Therefore, those gifts must have ceased. Because there's no way that God would stop someone as wonderful as me from experiencing these gifts if they're still available today. So I'm going to, but the fact that I've not experienced them means I'm going to reverse do the theology to say they must not be real anymore. Because I don't experience them and I'm awesome, so how could I not experience these things? Other people go, well, that's because you don't have enough faith. And they'll just beat you to shreds. If you've not experienced speaking in tongues, you're not a real Christian, you're a bad person. And they'll do the reverse theology that way to do exactly what Paul says in this passage not to do, which is to look down at people for not having certain gifts. So here's where I... um, So here's the problem. Uh, There is a real danger here that we are either... uh, That we can be elitist, that we can say like, the people that have the gifts are really great and the people that don't are not. I have a couple answers to why we don't experience them. Uh, Sometimes I'm curious if God says your culture can't handle that. Uh, Screwtape Letters is a great book by C.S. Lewis about how Satan attacks people. And C.S. Lewis, one of the things he argues is that Satan used to go about terrorizing people and doing witches and ghosts and all kinds of supernatural phenomenon. He goes, but then the Enlightenment came around and these Europeans got to where they didn't believe anything. They could see a ghost and they wouldn't believe it. And so I just started saying, fine. And I just turned them all into scientific atheists. Like that was the easy way to fool them. If they can't be scared into being disbelievers anymore, then I will just let them get bored into being unbelievers. I sometimes wonder if the reverse is true for us as well. God goes, if I sent you miracles, you would explain away. You would do medical tests. You would go, oh, the serotonin levels, or it was this, it was that. If I sent you miracles, they would prove nothing to you because you would just in your rational mind explain away my work as something else. I wonder sometimes if that's part of our problem. Um, The other problem I have with this is sometimes we say kind of like, you have to be all the way in on spiritual gifts before you see spiritual gifts. And the problem I have with that is that's like saying, don't worry that this car doesn't start. Once you buy it, the car will work. I promise. And I sometimes feel that way, but I get both sides of the argument. Sometimes my more charismatic friend said, if you would just actually trust God for a little while to do something amazing, he would do something amazing. It is your lack of willingness to even believe that this is possible that stops this from happening. On the flip side... Um, that just, uh, that bothers me is like God's playing games with me. Like these are these great gifts that he gives me, but I've got to do a lot of work to earn the gift first. 
And I find that very frustrating and very confusing. I hope some of you are living with me in this tension in this moment. Like, I just don't know what to do with it. And so I think there's kind of two things that are... Here's the thing that I cannot get past. Paul tells us that we should desire spiritual gifts. Several times in chapter 14, he says, pursue the gift of prophecy. Go after these gifts. Desire the gifts. Ask God for those gifts. And I don't know if I was raised the right way or not on gifts, but I can tell you this. I was never, ever taught to pursue them, and the Bible tells me I should. Does that make sense? And so, well, Caleb, are you saying all of a sudden we're going to have people being healed in the aisles at the feast? Honestly, I don't think so, which is terrible, right? That shows my lack of faith. But it would be great, wouldn't it? And I definitely think it won't happen if we don't ask for it. And so I never know what to do with spiritual gifts. But I know Paul tells me to go after them. And that maybe we should. Um, I'm going to get back to that in a minute. One more thought here. People have asked, another question we've gotten a lot is, how do you find your spiritual gifts? Tom asked this last week. And I gave him that really lame answer, like take a test online. Those do exist, okay? Um, But I read a book this week that Tori had handed me that was really helpful on this. And it was a lot like any discernment you do for the will of God. Pray about it. See the things that are like coming out of you naturally, your desires and your heart. Talk to other people and go, hey, if I gave you a list of spiritual gifts, which one of them would you say I have? Listen to your brothers and sisters, right? Seek God. These are all very simple ways that we can ask God, what gifts might I have? And then don't be afraid, again, to pursue them. Here's my takeaway from all this stuff. And if you have questions, that's what the Q&A cards are for. But here's my takeaway. Here are a few things that I'm going to be praying for. And I would love that you would pray with me on these things. First of all, pray that we mature in love. If we go through this whole passage and we don't get that out of chapter 13, that we need to be loving people and that we need to try to become more mature in our love, then we're missing the whole kit and caboodle. So pray that we mature in love. Second of all, that we might experience the perfect. I don't know what this is, but I think all the options are things I should pray for. Okay? If it's the Bible, or if it's perfect love, or it's the new heavens and the new earth, those are all things I can confidently say, God, I want to see that. I want to experience that. And so I think it's good to say, I think it's a really faithful thing to say, I don't know what Paul meant when he said this, but I want to experience it anyways. Let me see how it works. Uh, Third of all, pray that God gives us the gifts he wants to give us, and not be judgmental about that. You know, for me, if that suddenly became tongues, I would kind of be freaked out. I'd be like, what? What are you doing? But nonetheless, I want to be in a place where I can say, God, use me the way you want. And I'm going to pray for these gifts to come as you desire. Uh, Pray that we have open minds. It's one of the things that I want spiritual gifts, but then the first time you use one, you go, oh, that was no good, no good at all. I mean, it doesn't help you, right? You have to have an openness to God actually working. And finally, I'll pray that God edifies and grows our church. If we suddenly had this outblowing of spiritual gifts, but it didn't lead to us being edified or for us growing, who cares, right? That's not the purpose of it. Paul says these things are here for that purpose. And so that's going to be my prayer set out of this gift stuff. I don't understand all of it, and I maybe have butchered something here, okay? But nonetheless, I think that if we pray that we're uh, mature in our love, 
that we would experience the perfect that Paul promises. That God will give us the gifts that he wants and that we will be open-minded to seeing them happen. And then that those edify and grow the church, I don't think we can make a mistake. And however he wants to use them is okay. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, this has maybe felt like an odd uh, side, uh, side journey into an odd theological topic. Let me just say this. Scripture is telling us that God loves us and that he wants us to have the tools that we need to do his work in the world and to live a full life in the world. And all of these are God's way to help us build each other up. I pray that you'll feel encouraged today. I feel that you'll enjoy spiritual gifts. Even if it's just somebody here with the gift of encouragement, I pray that you'll have that today. All right, so I do have one question here. I think it's really good. Uh, in regards to desiring, pursuing, going after spiritual gifts, Matthew talks about ask, seek, and knock. Does that help us with receiving these gifts? Uh, I think so. I think the Bible is really clear about asking God for things and he'll give them to you. Luke is very explicit. Luke says uh, there's this famous passage that we all know that no father, if asked for a piece of bread, would give his child a scorpion. This is always kind of funny to us. It's just not the way we would talk about it. But yeah, right, exactly. Jesus says, if you're, you're, you fathers who are evil people, which is always cracks me up the way that Jesus talks about it. He goes, you dads who are bad dads, you would still take care of your kids if they asked you for bread. He says, in the same way, the Father will not deny you the Holy Spirit if you ask for it. Uh, that is the only promise I know of in Scripture where Jesus says, if you pray for this, you will receive it. No questions asked, you'll get it. And so I think it is really important to pray for the Holy Spirit, to pray for the Holy Spirit to be in your life, to be involved in your life, and to pray for spiritual gifts. So yeah, I think that's, that's really appropriate. All right. Any other questions? If you guys have anything else you want to know, I know in this room that many of you were taught very divergent things about spiritual gifts, and that I probably said something somewhat heretical to at least five or six of you in this room. So that's okay. We're trying to figure out how to make our way through this. If you want more conversation about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit, we're really happy to do that anytime. All right, uh, we're going to get into our baptisms now. Um, if I can get somebody to go out to the trailer to bring in the kiddos. We're going to sing a song as we get ready, and um, then we'll do our baptisms.